we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. There is a way of living without conflict and struggle. It doesn't mean becoming lazy, the mind becoming stagnant or dull. This way of living without effort can only come about if we understand the whole process of contradiction. Hello and welcome to episode 133 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the philosopher's talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti, and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is struggle. Upcoming themes are nothingness, sleep and dreams, and the future. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our website at kfoundation.org where you can find a growing collection of in-depth articles on Krishnamurti's teachings along with key topics and a wide selection of quotes. Our online store stocks all available Krishnamurti books and ships worldwide. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps its visibility. This week's episode on struggle has four sections. The first extract is from the 1974 film Problems of Living, titled We Are Caught in the Trap of Endless Struggle. Yesterday evening, I saw a boat going up the river at full sail, driven by the west wind. It was a large boat, heavily laden with firewood for the town. The sun was setting, and this boat against the sky was astonishingly beautiful. The boatman was just guiding it. There was no effort, but the wind was doing all the work. Similarly, if each one of us would understand the problem of struggle and conflict, then I think we would be able to live effortlessly, happily, with a smile on our face. Our life our everyday life is based on two principles, fear and pleasure, reward 
and punishment. From this arises this constant struggle. From this also arises the whole question of behaviour. Because our behaviour, that is conduct, how we treat others and treat ourselves, the manner of our speech, the act activities of our daily life, are based on these two principles. And as long as these two principles, which is fear and pleasure, reward and punishment, there must be not only contradiction in ourselves and therefore in our actions, but also in our relationship with each other. and struggle and effort to become something, to achieve something. Psychologically we are speaking, becomes one of our major problems of life. I don't know if you have noticed how every human being right throughout the world, doesn't matter where you go, they go in the Far East, Near East, or in the West. Man is caught in this web, in this trap of endless struggle. Struggle not only to live securely, physically, but also psychologically the battle that goes on within oneself, which is most destructive. I do not know if you have noticed this in yourself, how your life, your daily life, is based on this extraordinary principle of fear and pleasure, and therefore one is trying to dominate the other, and from this arises this endless conflict. Is it possible to live a life without this constant battle, without this constant struggle, inwardly as well as outwardly? To really understand this, you have to see what your life is first that it is a struggle, that it is terribly frustrating, painful. Be aware of that, be conscious of it. Then don't escape from it. Don't run away from what you see. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to rationalize it but stay with what actually is that you are struggling, that there is battle going on inside yourself to be a different and to all, to become different and so on.
just watch that. And in that watching, in that awareness, you will find that by the very act of that attention, the struggle comes to an end. The second extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Bombay, 1962, titled Why Do We Struggle? Most of us are ridden by the desire for success, for fame, to be known. And it is an everlasting struggle. And effort is apparently accepted by each one as a necessity to struggle in learning, in getting educated, in going to the office, in climbing the ladder of success, in understanding what is true. Everything has become a question of struggle, effort. to think, to love, to be kind, to be, have humility. All this has been reduced to a formula of struggle and effort, control and discipline. To me, such a life of discipline, control, subjugation, conformity is the destruction of the individual who must emerge. And it's only the individual that can find out the eternal, if there is such a thing as the eternal. <coughs> so we must understand the struggle. I'm using the word understand, not intellectually, not verbally, but actually observing the fact of what you are, the fact that you struggle from morning till night, from the moment you are born till the moment you die, the fight, the quarrels, the incessant effort without end, Surely there must be a different way of living. And we have accepted the way of struggle. The schoolboy accepts it. The older generations have accepted it. And every saint, every philosopher, every teacher has asserted that you must struggle, that you must make an effort. I'm pointing out, if you will listen, that there is a way of living without effort, which doesn't mean that you become sluggish, that you become dormant, stagnant, but the co on the contrary,
that effort, struggle is a waste. And when effort and struggle entirely, totally ceases, there is a way of living completely with such energy. And to find out such a way, we must inquire diligently, wisely and intelligently into this problem of struggle. We are investigating. You are not accepting what I am saying, because there is, it's not a question of accepting or rejecting. We are not doing propaganda. We leave that to the politicians, to the others. Propaganda is the continuity of non-fact. And a man who would understand the fact must approach it without distortion, to see clearly what are the problems involved in ambition, in desire, in struggle. And we are going to investigate it together. And therefore you are going to journey into yourself and not merely listen to what is being said. Why do we struggle? What is the essence of struggle, of ambition? Surely conflict is the essence of ambition. And why are we so everlastingly ambitious at all levels of our existence? The spiritual, so-called spiritual man, the sannyasi, the man with the beard and the politician, the merchant, the man who is acquiring knowledge, they're all ambitious. Why? Why this conflict? Struggle, conflict, exists because there is contradiction. If there was no contradiction, there would be no struggle. Please follow this. Not the words, but actually observe yourself, as it were, in a mirror. If there was no contradiction, there needs to be no effort. And we are a mess of contradiction. Why does this contradiction exist? Why is desire torn in different directions? And being torn in different directions, we, must, we say to ourselves, I must be without desire, or I must control desire. Psychologically, it's impossible to control desire. 
You have to understand it. You have to unravel it. You have to go to the full length, not in its expression, not in its fulfilment, but understand the whole significance of desire, which be, breeds contradiction. And because it breeds contradiction, we resist desire. We suppress desire. We say to ourselves, there must be, we must be desireless, which is to destroy the whole immensity of life. For desire is part of life. And to merely suppress it, deny it, control it, is to shut off the immensity of life. So, struggle exists because there is contradiction, outwardly and inwardly. Outwardly, there is the attraction of power, position and prestige. which is offered to a man who seeks status. There is a living with function. We have to function as human beings. You have to go to the office, you have to learn, you have to do things, a function. But with that function goes desire to be more than a function, because you use that function as a means to acquire position, prestige, power, and so there is contradiction. Function breeds contradiction when the desire to use function to arrive, to achieve success, to achieve power. Please observe this, this is a fact. The cook is treated by people not as a function, but as, a, as a, a position, a status, and therefore with contempt. And so there is a contradiction. The minister, the man of power, the man of position, the man of wealth, you treat with respect, with tremendous consideration. You treat the man of power, because he can give you, he can offer patronage. So he has, he uses his function to achieve status, and which you also want, and therefore there is a contradiction. So where there is function which gives 
a status, there must be contradiction. And society is built on this, that the function is not important, but the status is important. The status being power. And that contradiction is sustained by society, whether it is the function of a minister or of the saint, with it goes prestige. And what you want is not the function, what you respect is not the function, but the status. And therefore you have contradiction. And a man who uses function to achieve status can never be efficient. And we need to be efficient in this world. Because function matters enormously. The rocket that goes to the moon has million parts, literally a million parts. And if any one of those parts doesn't function properly, it cannot go. <coughs> and the man who designs it cannot seek through that design status. He must love what he is doing, otherwise he cannot make the thing perfect. It's only the man who loves what he is doing, whatever it be, design, structure, who loves what he is doing and not deriving psychological status, psychological position. Such an entity alone can be efficient and not be ruthless. It's the man who is using function for status who becomes ruthless. So, struggle is not necessary to learn a technique. But our education, the society in which you are brought up, forces you not to love what you are doing, but to pursue the necessity of a particular demand of a society. Society now demands engineers, scientists, and everybody becomes an engineer or a scientist because it's more profitable. And very few are real scientists, real engineers. 
but they are using science and engineering as a means of acquiring money, position, prestige. So they are breeding contradiction. And outwardly there is all the expression of society with its wealth, comfort, progress. And we all want wealth. We all are caught in this mania to achieve success in the world, derive fame. Because why? Why is there this intense desire on the part of each one, almost everyone, to achieve fame? Why? Why is there this desire? I do not know if you have gone very far into that question. Let us look at it. Let's find out why you want to fulfill, why you want success, why this incessant battle with yourself. Surely, for most of us, we are aware at some time or another, consciously or unconsciously, that there is a great emptiness, loneliness in us. You know what that word means, to be lonely, to have no relationship with anything, to be completely cut off, to be in solitude, suddenly to find oneself alone, inwardly. And we are all the time struggling psychologically to feel that loneliness, to escape from it. I do not know if you are aware of your own loneliness, if you have ever come across it. And because we want to, we are so frightened of that loneliness, we run away from it. And so there is a contradiction. And we try to escape from that loneliness through knowledge, through success, through money, through sex, through religion, through every form. And so, the fact is that you are lonely, which you do not want to face, and you are escaping from it. So there is a contradiction, which breeds conflict. So we are concerned with conflict. And a man that has no conflict is not ambitious. 
And a man who is ambitious can never love. He does not know what it means to love, because he is concerned with himself and with his own ideas, with his own achievements. A man who seeks fame, how can he love? How can he have kindliness, generosity? And this sense of achievement can only come about when there is an escape from the fact, the fact that you are lonely. And do what you will till you understand that extraordinary loneliness, your gods, your knowledge, your power, position have no value, nor is your virtue. Now, how does this loneliness come about? You understand what I mean by that word? Perhaps many of you have not felt that, because you have never been alone. You are always surrounded by your friends, by your family. You are always chattering, reading, going to cinema, temple, doing puja, doing everything, all the time active, and therefore never aware of yourself, of what is going on within yourself. So very few know this sense of complete loneliness. You must have come across it when you perhaps when you are sitting alone in a bus, or suddenly when you are talking to your husband or your wife, when you are surrounded by your friends, aware that you are completely alone, lonely. <coughs> and it's a very frightening thing to suddenly come up on it. And being frightened not being able to do anything about it, we run away from it, and thereby we create a contradiction. And where there is contradiction, there is conflict. So all our life, wherever we go, wherever, whatever we touch, is conflict. Is there a way of living without conflict? There is a way of living without struggle, without conflict, which does not mean becoming lazy, which does not mean the mind going stagnant, dull. That way of living without effort can only come about if we understand this whole process of contradiction. And contradiction exists where there is an ideal. The ideal of nobility, the ideal of goodness, the ideal of non-violence, that you must be 
and must not be. All this breeds contradiction. Please listen to this, because if you can listen, you can walk away from here without conflict for the rest of your life. Then ambition, struggle, and the brutality of ambition, and the ruthlessness of ambition, all that will go away. You'll have a simple, clear, unspotted mind. And it is only that unspotted mind that can function clearly, design without seeking perverse, seeking position, and therefore love what it is doing. And it is only love that has no contradiction. And to understand that in that extraordinary state, you must understand contradiction in yourself. The third extract is from the first question and answer meeting at Rajgat in 1981, titled We Struggle for Everything. We have made life into a marvelous machine of struggle, right? We are struggling for everything for God, for meditation, for love, for. Hmm? Struggle, struggle, struggle. Right? And you say listening, seeing, learning is also a struggle. I say no. Why do we make life into a struggle? You say, answer this question, put it yourself, whether you can live without any conflict in life. Don't say no. We are used to conflict. Right? To reach God, enlightenment, nirvana, or self blah, blah, you must struggle, struggle, struggle. Take vows, take all these peculiar robes that you have. And we are asking. Is there a way of living which is not lazy, which is not comforting, which is not merely routine, routine? Is there a way of living daily life without a single shadow of conflict? Huh? Those gentlemen say, those who are in deep sleep, perhaps all of you are. <laughs> we are talking about daily living, not when you are fast asleep. Even when you are fast asleep, the brain is still active, still dreaming. 
says, don't make that search. Have you ever even asked, inquired, to find out if it is possible to live a life, daily life, without a single sense of conflict, without a single sense of a problem? without this terrible sense of, I must control. Go on, say, inquire. The speaker says, not theoretically, don't accept it. The speaker says, yes, it's possible. Not escape not go off into the Himalayas or in some, become a hermit. Living here on this earth, meeting people, married, if you are, and doing everything that I want to live without conflict. Find out, sirs, why is there conflict in our life? Is it, is it not because we're all trying to become something? Right? If I'm not good, I will be good. This idea of perpetual movement of becoming something ultimately becoming enlightened, which is nonsense. So, what is it that's becoming? You know, who is that's becoming? The me? And what is the me? My name, my form, my memory, my education, my attachments, my bank account, if I have one, and so on, so on. Right? Why can't we face all this? Why can't we look at it? It's imagining all kinds of things. So, as long as the there is a desire to become, there must be conflict. Right? Then you will see, if I don't become, what will happen? If I don't succeed in the office, what will happen to me? Go and answer it yourself. I don't have to answer it. If you don't become something in the office, you won't have more money, better cars, better toilets, and so on, so on, so on. Right? And if you don't become something inwardly, you'll never reach whatever that you want to reach. 
So the struggle is going on all the time. For the rich man and the poor man. So can you find out for oneself whether it's possible to live happily on this earth without all these monstrous divisions and mess. So, meditation is something immense. It cannot come through struggle, right? Through practice, through a system. Because your mind then becomes routine, mechanical. By listening, seeing, learning, you can also make that into mechanical. Anything you can make into mechanical. But to see for oneself, aware of one's brain, mind, how it's becoming mechanical. The very perception of the danger ends the danger. That is, when you stand on a precipice, the very danger demands that you act, right? When you see a cobra near you, you act. But we don't see the danger of this mechanical process of living. Right? Why don't you see the danger? Why don't you see the danger of having a leader, religious leaders? Look at you all. Because you want somebody to tell you what to do in meditation, how to lead a spiritual life, what to do in politics, what to do in business. You follow? Told, educated, go to Harvard to become a business manager, go this place. So, you understand? We're all being told what to do. And the speaker refuses to tell you what to do. And so you think he's evading. Whereas he's saying simply, look at the facts, just look at it. Why you put on those robes, why somebody does this, just look. And when you look very carefully, observe without any prejudice, then the story is told by that which you are observing. Then this, as the story ends, the observation ends. The final extract in this episode is from the fourth talk at Brockwood Park in 1980, titled 
struggling to end all struggle. Then there is the problem now, not a problem. What is meditation? Please take proper positions. I can see I can see it happening. You know, man, human beings have always sought, because their minds are everlastingly chattering, everlastingly moving from one thing to another, driven by desire, driven by reward and avoidance, pain. Is always trying to find some kind of quietness, right? Some kind of peace in which at least for ten minutes it can be quiet. Right? So man has sought this. Go to the church. Sit there quietly. Go to a marvellous cathedral when there is no circus going on and be quiet. And it's a strange fact in the all these churches and there is never a moment of quietness except when it's empty. You understand what I'm saying? The priest is doing something, you are doing something, everybody's chanting, replying, uh, incense, this, that. Never, never quiet, except when the cathedral is really empty of human beings. The same in the temples, same in the mosque. Is it because They, those people in authority of the church, temple and so on, never want you to be quiet so that you begin to question. You understand? Because if you are quiet, you might inquire. If you are quiet, you might begin to doubt. But if you are occupied all the time, you never have time to look around to question, to doubt, to ask. That may be one of the great tricks of human mind. So we are asking, what is meditation? And why should one meditate? Is it natural? Natural, you understand? Like breathing, like seeing, like hearing. Is it natural? And why have we made it so unnatural? 
taking postures, following systems, Buddhist meditation, Tibetan meditation, Christian meditation. You understand? The Tantra meditations, you don't know, though, perhaps some of you may know. And the meditation said by your favourite guru. Right? We are asking, aren't all those really abnormal? Right? Are you following? Why should I take a certain position to meditate? Why should I practice, practice, practice to arrive where? You understand my question? To follow a system, twenty minutes in the morning, twenty minutes in the afternoon, twenty minutes in the evening, to have a quiet mind. Having achieved a little quiet mind, I can go off and do other mischief all day long. Hmm? It is. It is. A f- these are actual facts. I'm telling you. Now, to, is there a way of meditating which is not? Which is none of these things. You understand my question? Uh, till now, we say meditation is to quieten the mind hmm? first, to have a mind that is capable of observation. To have a mind that is completely centred, right? Completely concentrated, right? So that there is no thought, but except one thought, right? One picture, one image, one. Centre upon which you are looking, right? I don't know if you have gone through all this. The speaker has played with them for half an hour in each of each of these meditations, ten minutes, five minutes, and it meant, meant nothing. So you have to go into this question: Who is the controller and the control? You understand? Are getting tired? Our whole life, if you observe, is this controlling and not controlling. Right? I must control my emotions. I must control my thinking. I can only control my thinking by constant practice. And to practice, I must have a system. This system implies a mechanical process, making the mind mechanical, more and more. <coughs> and it's already mechanical now, but we won't make it much more. <coughs> so that it gradually becomes more and more dull. We go through all this, right? Why? 
if you are meditating according to TM, right? <coughs> or according to somebody else. Why? Because you want to have an experience either through drugs, and you know drugs do you harm, therefore you know you are put that aside, but by practicing something you will experience something else. Right? I don't know if you have ever gone to the question of experience. What what why human beings <coughs> are demanding experience? <coughs> Either <coughs> the mind is asleep, therefore an experience means a challenge. Right? Or the mind is awake and therefore doesn't need an experience. I don't know if you are following this. So one has to find out if your mind is asleep and therefore, or bored with the experience that you have, sex, drugs, all the rest of other experiences, you want something far beyond all that. You are always craving for experience. More delightful, more extravagant, the more communicable, and all the rest of it. Why does the mind demand experience? Ask yourself, please. There is only one thing a mind that is very clear. is free from all entanglements of attachment and so on. Such a mind is a light to itself, right? Therefore it doesn't want any experience. There is nothing to experience. You cannot experience enlightenment. I, that sounds the very the idea of experience that is such a Stupid thing to say, I've, I've achieved enlightenment. I mean, it's like, it's really dishonest. You cannot experience truth. Right? Because there must be an experiencer to experience. Right? If there is no experiencer, there is no experience at all. I wonder if you see that. But we are attached to our experiencer. Therefore, we are always asking more and more and more. So, meditation generally, as is accepted now, is the practice of, of a system, breathing properly, sitting in the right position, lotus position or whatever position you take, wanting or craving for greater experience or the ultimate experience. Right? 
This is what we are doing. And therefore, all that is a constant struggle, right? Never ending struggle. This never ending struggle is hoping to end all struggles. <laughs> you understand? Look what I have done. I am struggling, struggling, struggling to end struggling, which is sometime in the future. Right? See what I have done, what tricks I have played on myself. I have. I have caught in time, right? I don't say, why should I struggle at all? If I can end the struggle, that is enlightenment. You understand? To have no shadow of conflict. But we do not want to make all those efforts. We are caught in time, right? And to be free of time is to be free to pure to have pure observation. And then the mind becomes extraordinarily quiet. You don't have to make the mind quiet. You understand this? If you end all conflict, mind naturally becomes quiet. And when the mind is absolutely silent, without any movement of thought, Then perhaps you will see some. Perhaps there is something sacred beyond all words. And this man has sought everlastingly something that is beyond measure, beyond thought, which is incorruptible, unnameable, eternal. That can only take place when the mind is absolutely free and completely silent. So one must begin very near, you understand? Very near. And when you begin very near, there is no fall. You understand? When you begin near, there is no distance. Therefore, there is no time. And it is only then that which is most holy can, can be. <coughs> 